Welcome to The Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin is narrated by Mason Fair. The Key to Carowin, Chapter 2, Playthings. The second time I saw the girl, I had recently disposed of the bundle I had been carrying. It was nearly still when I left it. I did not know then if it would survive. I cannot see the future, much as I would like to claim to, and as much as I try to convince people I can, as much as they would like to believe that I can, in order to blame me for their own fallible ways. I could not know what would happen. I could only guess and hope. I had to wait and watch for as many long days or months as it would take before I could be certain. It was morning and I was, as it were, checking in on the woman, on the progress of the thing. The girl was smaller then. She was sitting on the sparse, cracker-crisp grass, talking to herself, playing. I looked closer. A motley collection of fabric and molded plastic. Toys. She had her playthings arrayed about her, with one in her hand and another on her lap, oblivious to the dirt they were picking up, oblivious to the dull sky and the lightless earth in which she huddled, making herself small. It was as though she were immune to it. And perhaps she was, after all. There was something disturbing about her. I didn't like to look at her for long. She didn't take up as much light as the others. I think that was it. It was not that she reflected the light or refracted light. It was simply that she did not take in so much of it as though it slid from her to puddle at her feet in shadow. It was as though she was outside of it somehow. I ignored my errant thoughts and got on with the business at hand. I followed a trail of weed-edged stamped earth to the steps of the faded blue house with its chipped flat-paint boards. It was a broad yard with a tree growing in the middle of it, the shade of it falling just short of the large front window. Bushes and ivy and nettles choked the ailing fence, trying to pull it into the earth from which it stemmed. Crumbling cement and old wood was rampant, sucking the light from the clouds. I tried not to touch anything whenever I came to these sorts of places, as if I would be turned to the same colorlessness as this bare existence simply by being in proximity to it. I brushed past the girl, barely an inch from her herd of toys, horses and dogs and sheep and such, but she didn't flinch. Most people cower with far less association with me, but not the girl. She simply looked up, angled her head towards me, looking through me and into the 
thick as hot syrup summer air. Searching, I thought. She had eyes just learning to be green, bright against the flattened backdrop of the summer heat that flushed her pale face, her cheeks and lips providing the only real color in this drab scene. Her long, dark hair was almost captured in a falling-down ponytail, the itinerant strands that had escaped plastered to her forehead with sweat. She heaved a sigh, frowned disapprovingly, and returned her attention to her toys. I continued on into the house, unobtrusive and unobserved, as always. The smell of meat cooking in the oven assailed my senses, and I held my breath against the stench. And they think I'm barbaric. The house was silent, the heavy heat outside just beginning to eke into its darkened rooms, saturating the air and weighing down the sounds. It took me a moment to find the woman in the density of it, resting in her bedroom despite it only being midday. I watched her for a moment from just inside the open door, sleeping in unsettled slumber, her belly just beginning to swell. I moved to stand over her, looking down at her silent form. She stirred and turned away. The woman, the mother, what can be said about her? All yellow, pink, and blue. Imagine this. Frosted, blonde hair in short, loose curls. Cotton candy pink lipstick with sky blue eyeshadow. Back when those colors were acceptable. Cropped top and close-fitting leggings in the style of the time cooking full meals by noon. They did that back then, and serving cold leftovers for supper. They did not have microwaves. Laundry days that actually took up much of the day. Baking, house cleaning, but not too much. Monitoring of children. This was the order of her days. She might have been nail polish, Pretty and thin, but lacking depth, and easily chipped. It made my job easier. She was an empty boat, adrift on a shallow pond, waiting for a breeze to move her along. Diverted by the simplest of things, seeking nothing beyond learning how to sew in a zipper, content when her children went out to play and annoyed during lengthy school vacations, never aspiring to more than a coffee with a neighbor at the local bakery. Coffee shops before there were coffee shops. This vapid creature. That is why I chose her. It appeared things were well in hand, so I exited the house, moving back through the dust-choked yard, ducking the dull grays of the leaves where they grew low on the tree, past the specter of lightlessness and shadow in the shape of a girl where she sat amidst her playthings. 
She said not to go inside, the girl called out as I passed. I stopped and looked down at her. Surely she couldn't see me. Humans cannot see those of us with more light, more existence. And yet, she watched me, her filmy green eyes darkening a shade, when she held up her hand to shelter her face from the sun. I don't care, came a boy's voice from behind me. An almost older voice, a heavier voice, not yet comfortable with the depth of itself. A voice anchored in censure and enmity. There's nothing to do out here, and I'm hot. It's almost lunch. I'm going in. I turned and saw the boy then. He was not like the girl. He took up the light, as much as any of you do anyway. Wore a chalky thin film of it, and stood in his brittle earth cracked dry shadows. A picture for you. Long, unruly brown hair with enough blonde in it for some to call it that. But not in this light. Flare-bottom jeans, a sign of the times. Green and ripped on one knee. Pant legs an inch shy of his feet. A striped brown and blue t-shirt that almost did not reach his waist. An unwavering, annoyed frown just below the fading bruise on his cheekbone and a stride that was long enough when he was intent on his mark. A tree branch, bent and ready to thrash back. He might, at some point, become the sort one did not turn their back on. But he was not that just yet. For now, he still felt guilt and love and sorrow and even joy in spared quantities. He climbed the stairs to the house and went in, closing the door loudly, defiantly. The girl watched the closed door for a time and then glanced up at me, or perhaps the sun. Her small red mouth twisted. She turned back to the toy in her hand and sighed a whispered sigh. I was to see the girl frequently after that. Each time I checked on the woman, drawn by a need to monitor her existence now that I had recalled it. Always the girl sat alone. Always she watched me without seeing me. And never did she shrink from my presence. I liked that. Listening to Key to Carowin, a work of original fiction by Wendy Fair. Key to Carowin was narrated by Mason Fair, with original music provided by Serena Fair. 
For more information about this and other projects, please visit shifterspress.ca. Thank you for listening.